Welcome back to the Georgia 2024 show, our 7 p.m. edition on Wednesday nights. I'm in an undisclosed location. I'm with my co-host, Bill Quinn. Welcome, Bill. Good afternoon, Todd. So we're brought to you by the Georgia Record, georgiarecord.com. Please sign up for our no-ask subscriptions. We are supported by you, not by anybody else. We're not supported by Pfizer, that's for sure. So, wow, what a week. Uh, every I say this every show, but it keeps getting more and more intense here in Georgia. Uh, before we get started, uh, we've got a great show. We've got BKP, Ryan K. Pritchard, who's coming on, really the insider in Georgia. And uh, we've got a, a really interesting interview with Steve Friend, the FBI whistleblower, which I think will tie all this together. Before we get started, uh, I want to just call to your attention, Sidney Powell wrote a book a, a, a while back called License to Lie. And it really is the book which started the war against the deep state. Let me read you a couple uh, recommendations of the book. Number one best-selling nonfiction ebook by the Wall Street Journal. A fascinating book on dishonest prosecutors, beautifully written, a page turner, just stunning. Go get the book, Rush Limbaugh. I recommend anyone concerned about the deep state read Sidney Powell's License to Lie, Newt Gingrich. And it is malpractice to litigate against the Department of Justice without reading this book, Brendan Sullivan of Williams and Connolly. So we recommend you go get License to Lie from Sidney Powell. And uh, find out how all this got started. You can buy the book anywhere. That's License to Lie with Sidney Powell. So, Bill, um, why don't you bring in our first guest? Okay. Well, again, we, we, are, uh, we are delighted to have Brian K. Pritchard with us tonight. So let's pull him in. Brian, welcome. Thank you for joining. Thank you, gentlemen. I appreciate it. I, I always look forward to um, any opportunity to get together with you and Todd and your viewers. And uh, I look forward to it on, on many different levels. But uh, some programs I will not go on because I don't have the comfort level to be able to speak freely. And uh, this is the place I know we can have the conversation. And as you well know, with these recent indictments now, uh, now, the First Amendment, the ability to say what you want to say, you can get indicted for. In fact, I don't know if you can see it on the screen, just what I have, my stolen stand with Trump button here. I mean, I qualify by Fannie Willis to be indicted uh, right here on, on my desk, on the front of my desk. So glad to be with you guys. That's great. I hope you, hope you haven't been posting any tweets. Apparently, that's cause enough to uh, to be indicted these days. <laughs> oh, well, you know, I got to give you, you know, not to get sidetracked, but I do got to give Elon Musk a little little credit for pushing back. He tried to push back and stop the corrupt DOJ uh, from getting Donald Trump's direct messages. Uh, he tried to push back on that, but, you know, he he failed there. So. Uh, what, what do you want to talk about? You want to talk about Georgia? You want to talk about the indictment? Well, I, I, I want to see the Musk's, you know, fight with uh, Zuckerberg in the Coliseum. That's what I want to see. Okay. okay. All right, Todd. All right. <laughs> okay. Anyway, next time. So, All right. So uh, can I make my opening statement? Here it is. Ready? Sure. Well, as, as I like to say, this is my opinion because we know lawyers are always standing by. So, it's my opinion, I want to look at the camera and tell you that Georgia is operated by very corrupt men who identify as Republicans, and their pronoun is rhino. There you go. <laughs> that's, my, that's my opening. I think that's a broad topic. 
how would you put that under your signature? You know, like, uh, I don't know, I go by Rhino or something like that. Well, you know, um, I want to I want to say this, you know, we have the indictments here in Georgia, and obviously that's what we want to talk about and many other things. Um, the Georgia Republican Party, okay, um, the Georgia Republican Party on, on in November when the election was stolen from the American people, uh, the, the chairman, David Schaefer, no one will understand, and I don't want to take our time up, no one will understand what that, what that, high-speed, rapid, try-to-save-America effort was and what everybody went through between that time after the election and January 6th when when Trader Mike uh, claimed he could not do something and stabbed the American people in the back and then goes around and claims in his very soft Indiana voice that when given an opportunity, he will always side with the Constitution. I think we know who I'm talking about. But the, the Georgia Republican Party has had a tough two years, like many, going through this, going through indictments, going through depositions. Uh, these, these people, these innocent people, these 16 innocent people that are actually the legitimate electors because Donald Trump won Georgia, have gone through absolute hell, folks. I want all the audience to know that you got to think about these people. These are moms, dads, grandmothers, people that are on a cane, a walker, uh, have gone through absolute hell from Fannie Willis uh, being deposition after deposition. And now we're down to three of them being indicted. State Senator Sean Still, Kathy Latham, which everybody knows and keeps hearing about Coffee County, and the former chair, David Schaefer. Um, this will cost a lot of money. This, this will cost. There's a reason why. There's several reasons why she's doing a RICO charge. Okay. And the RICO charge, um, I think I froze up on the screen. Oops. Well. We'll get him back. Yep. I'm sure he'll be back in. So. Um, there he is. There we go. Okay. I froze up, guys. I froze up on the screen. All right. You're back with us, BKP. But this RICO charge, uh, this this RICO charge, she wants to run all of these all of these cases at one time. And and you know, that means every time one of the attorneys, you got 19 different attorneys, because you have 19 defendants, right? Every time mm -hmm. one of these attorneys makes a motion or anything. All 19 attorneys have to be present. All 19 attorneys have to answer the motion. Uh, and, and she knows she knows that she might bankrupt innocent people here and destroy people. And, and, and that's what it is. If you speak out in this country, you get destroyed. But I, I want to move on from that. I want to say Josh McCoon. The Georgia GOP chair, Josh McCoon, is doing an amazing job. I, I was... I was in communication with him Monday at 4:30. Guys, he he had a he had a vacation scheduled for eight months, headed out of the country. It was already planned, booked, hotels, everything. And and he canceled the vacation Monday night. He's going and doing interview after interview. He is attacking and going after Fonnie Willis as hard as he can. He is doing everything he can. Now, now Josh McCoon, the Georgia GOP, and the reason I want to brag on the Georgia GOP for a little bit, because Brian Kemp 
keeps sticking his finger in the eye of the grassroots, the governor of Georgia, which makes up the Georgia GOP. The Georgia GOP right now is MAGA, all right? It just is. Myself, David Cross, Caroline Jeffords, you know, and Josh is doing an amazing job. Josh McCoon, the chair, he's not the spokesperson for Donald Trump. He's not. So I get that. So I've had people say to me, well, how come he's not commenting about, you know, Trump getting indicted uh, or some other things? I, I get everything people are saying. He's not their spokesperson, and they may not want him saying some things. But in Georgia, Brian Kemp, let me look at the camera. Why the hell are you trying to make the job more difficult on Josh McCoon? Because, you know, the guy's out there, and he's working hard, really going after Fonnie Willis. Um, we're trying to win in 2024. We're going to support the nominee. Trump's going to support the nominee. And and Kemp says the election wasn't stolen. And then three days, what was it, guys? Three days before. You got to remember, three days before the indictments, he tweets out and attacks Donald Trump about the loyalty oath. You know? You've seen the tweet. He tweeted out and attacked Donald Trump why is that any of Brian Kemp's business? Why does Brian Kemp have to get involved? What is his real motive here? I, I, I think Brian Kemp is working for somebody else, not the people of Georgia. We've said that many times on the show, but I, I, I think that's just what's happening here. Well, look at this, okay? And, I, and, and folks, all right, let me say this, okay? It's, this is not a um, – I'm not trying to do a fundraiser for the Georgia GOP. But I will tell you this. I'm going to look in the camera and tell you, and guys, you know this. The Georgia GOP right now has grassroots the base. I can't remember the last time, and this is not negative against the former chair, but I can't remember the last time the Georgia GOP had this strong of a grassroots base working together to try to support and get Donald Trump elected. We know Donald Trump will be the nominee. We know he will, okay? And we will not stop until we get him elected. And that's the bottom line. And we need, I, I made this challenge last night in a meeting, on a phone meeting. I made this challenge. Every legislator, every state Republican legislator, House or Senate, every constitutional officer, you need to write a check to the defense fund of the Georgia GOP because you could be next. You could be the one. What, what happens the first state senator loses by 500 votes and there's an investigation and they won't look into it? I'm just saying we need help there financially in the defense fund to combat this. We can't lose on this one. Kemp's bringing... Kemp's bringing Mike Pence to town Thursday, uh, to Friday, Friday morning. Mike Pence comes to town with Eric Erickson. Brian Kemp, folks, gave Eric Erickson a hundred thousand dollars. I mean, let me plead with you, okay? I get in trouble. They yell at me about this. Oh, you're going after Republicans. I'm not going after Republicans. Damn it, Brian Kemp has not given the Georgia Republican Party a single dollar, folks, not one dollar. He has not opened his office door and had a meeting and invited to this day tonight, as I speak to you, with the new chairman, Josh McCoon. He's not had one meeting with him, not give us one dollar for the Georgia GOP. 
but he gave Eric Erickson $100,000 to be the co-sponsor to bring in Ron DeSantis, you know, uh, the, 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 the beached whale, Chris Christie, friggin' <laughs> Trader Mike. All of these people are going to be on stage with Brian Kemp. And then, and then the real rhinos, the establishment, Joni Erst is coming from Iowa. I mean, I get all worked up in the next couple of days. And there's no coincidence, folks. Do not sit back and think that, that Kemp and, and, and Erickson and all of the deep state did not know that Tuesday, Monday night's the indictment, and Kemp is going to have these guys in town. No coincidence. I'm sorry. I better settle down because it really upsets me. Well, you, you mentioned the hundred grand that he kicked in to be able to co-sponsor the event. Let's not forget that you know a scant four months ago he was talking to donors and said, "Hey, you know, ditch the traditional party." He's talking about the Republican Party. And so these guys that are coming out now saying, oh, gosh, you know, Duncan, uh, Jeff Duncan went on uh, CNN the last two days and and said, oh, it's you know, it's Trump's fault. He's he's driving us into a ditch. I'm paraphrasing. These guys, well, these guys have another agenda to this because they seem to be using very similar language, but they're shooting at their own party and trying to make us believe they're supporting it. Bill, I have a lot of tape and I know you know that I got a lot of tape where I have laid this out and I've told people over and over. And I think the last time we got together, you know, when we went down a little prediction row, I said that it's all been orchestrated that Georgia is the final stop for the indictments. And I know I know the audience doesn't like to hear this, but the, the deep state sees Brian Kemp as the great Trump slayer. They just do. They see Georgia as the place where Trump could be stopped. They see Georgia as the place where there's an effort. They call Brad Raffensperger and Brian Kemp prominent Republicans. Okay. So you got one guy that is that is a a hero to the deep state, and you got another guy that's in charge of the election, uh, you know, the election outcomes. Uh, let me just say that, right? Attorney standing by, I mean. Maybe he he can help with election outcomes, and that's why George is the final stop for many reasons right here. This is where they think they can stop Trump is in Georgia. And, and as you said earlier, Brian Kemp said a, a while ago, folks, let me just be clear, all right? A couple weeks ago when, when Kemp tweeted out, I warned everybody of this. Oh, we got to support the nominee. We're going to support the nominee. He never said Trump's name, folks. Kemp does not intend to support Donald J. Trump. He keeps saying the nominee because he feels the grand plan here in Georgia can finish Trump off, and he doesn't have to support Trump. He could support somebody else. And he, he is openly, as Bill said here earlier, he is openly telling people, don't donate to the Georgia GOP. Give me the money. Give me the money. So, I mean, it's it's a prediction that people don't like, but we've said for a long time, hey, what's the odds that the guy's not trying? He said, what did he say? I can't work with the Georgia GOP in its current form. So we, we've said this for how long? And it's all opening up. It's like a flower that's opening up in full bloom of what you, you and I have been talking about for God knows how long. Yeah. Well, he said, 
He said you can't, and I'm sorry, I'll get out of the way. He said you can't work with the current GOP in its form. He says don't donate to it. So what's he trying to do? Build it, burn it down, and bring it back? He's trying to make what exists irrelevant so he can get an right. that he wants. It's very simple. And he's not he's doing that not for himself, but for somebody else. And we'll let the audience pick fill in that blank. But uh, I think the timing too, and really all of this, Georgia included, is is very telling. Um, uh, the president's own attorney when she walked out and, and pointed out that literally in most cases, one day after bad news coming out on uh, the Biden crime family there would be another indictment or set of indictments put against Trump. And just a couple hours ago, Fannie Willis announced that she's going to propose a trial date, I believe, of March 4th. March what 4th. Happens, what happens eight days later? The 12th, the 12th right. is our primary. Eight days, yep. eight days before the primary. Oh, no, this, is, this isn't about interfering with the election. You know, people are, boy, people are getting smart awfully, awfully quick, I think. They're... They're spotting this and they're saying, holy smokes. Well, you Who know, I, do this I, stuff? I like nothing. I like nothing sub-zero of anything about Fonnie Willis. Zero. But you got to stop and think about all the all, all of you Fonnie Willis haters out there. You got to stop and think. She basically has nothing without identified Republicans in Georgia participating. Yeah. I mean, she don't have a phone call. She doesn't have a phone call uh, that uh, this is this is, you know, my sources and, and what we understand. I can't confirm this, but a lot of people say the assistant, the assistant. Uh, there's no investigation into the assistant secretary of state, Jordan Fuchs. A, a lot of smoke around that Jordan might have been out of state in a state that you have to let somebody know you're being recorded when it was called recorded. I mean, you've got Gabe Sterling, you've you've got Ryan Germany, you've got Brad Raffensberger. I mean, you've got Jeff Duncan going in. The list goes on. You've got Brian Kemp, Brian Kemp's team. Well, it goes Go down to Florida too, Brian. I mean, you've got Ron DeSantis not right. after Jordan Fuchs for that phone call. You've got Ron DeSantis running an election fraud cartel in Florida, and you've right. got you know him visiting Kemp in the Gold Dome. So yeah. There go. Actually, our our interview a couple of weeks ago made a publication. Somebody sent me earlier today uh, about that meeting where where we did. And folks, uh, I know they have it in their archives. We broke it down here one night on the show in very much detail with graphics that Ron DeSantis came to a private meeting in Georgia, met with the governor uh, and the leadership of Georgia, uh, not Burt Jones. Not Burt Jones. We want to make sure that's clear. The lieutenant governor in Georgia the day after the legislative session ended. Uh, so it's it's all been in play. Um, you know, every everything everything going on, and you know we have Judge uh, McBurney. Um, we have this uh, uh, Kemp. I'm, try, I'm trying. You know. I'm thinking about calling Marty. I mean, I, I'm, I'm exasperated. Maybe I'll call Marty and the girls. Maybe maybe I can get through to Marty and the girls because, you know, Kemp goes everywhere and him 
him and Marty and the girls are just saving the world every day in Georgia for hardworking Georgians. I know that's wrong. Well, they, I, I know, shouldn't they, do that. They traveled internationally as well. So, you know, saving, saving the world, as you say. Yes. One of the things that troubled me about the, uh, the whole indictment thing was one, the fact that uh, essentially many of the charges were leaked early, which, you know, you, anybody that knows the court process would find question about that. Um, shouldn't have ever been in a place that it could reach the public, first of all. Um, two, um, the fact that after signing the, um, uh, the indictments, the judge seemed to kind of joke with the press about it, almost as if it was entertainment. And that, that didn't seem appropriate for a courtroom uh, setting, especially under these circumstances, to me, my opinion. Um, and lastly, the same judge was the one to... Um, agree to an order uh, last year that essentially gave Fannie Willis disqualification from pursuing Burt Jones, the uh, lieutenant governor. And yet today there's, there's talk that a special prosecutor may be, may be being assigned to pursue charges against him or pursue investigation is a better way for me to put it. So it, it's fascinating to see all these moves that are um, being made, but they seem to have been set up for quite some time, going back certainly into last year in some cases. Well, you know, with with Lieutenant Governor Burt Jones, there there was a full story done tonight on Fox Five. They that is that is ramping up, and I want to be very clear with your audience here. I I like the Lieutenant Governor, um, um, and uh, I have no opposition to the Lieutenant Governor, but facts are as they. Uh, as you put them out there, Fannie Willis was, uh, that was, I think that was on July 25th of 2022 that Judge McBurney dismissed Fannie Willis from Burt Jones's investigation due to the Lieutenant Governor, due to uh, a fundraiser that she held for his opponent. Mm -hmm. And I, I will tell you this, I, I spoke to somebody in Atlanta today there should be a paper trail on that. So they said that should have triggered the minute McBurney signed that, that should have went to the AG's office and should have triggered the prosecuting attorney's office to do something. And mm -hmm. only, only now, and uh, this is, this is not on August 15th after three have, have been indicted. And uh, this is no, no segment of going after, Bart Jones, but only now are they looking at just starting to investigate Bart Jones as one of the 16s. So there's a lot of moving parts here, and there's no coincidence to any of it. And, you know, the other thing, I'll tell you what what angers me on, on so many levels is when, when people play the politics shuffle, uh, Kemp is trying to position himself for Senate, or a VP slot, all right? Chris Carr is trying to position himself right now uh, for governor. Brad Raffensperger wants to be governor. And then MTG comes out. And, you know, I'll say this out loud. I get in, get in trouble for it, but it's just the way I feel. You know, Marjorie Taylor Greene's had a long time to criticize Kemp. I mean, she could have criticized Kemp for the last six months. She's, she could have gone after Kemp on multiple levels. But only now, after he put that tweet out, and then she spins going after Kemp, 
into her political aspirations. So I, I don't know why I got that out there, but I just did. Brian, what do you think is going to be this presser on Monday? Any idea? Uh, I'm not for sure, but I will tell you this. Uh, today, today I did two hours of laying out um, where we're at. And David Cross uh, is going to come on in the morning and he is going to, um, I, I have my producer right in the middle of the live show today call David Cross and say, Brian is laying out where we're at. Your job tomorrow is to provide the evidence. Kemp says there's no evidence, so be ready. So I'll tell you now, Cross is not coming on for 22 minutes in the morning. He's going to come on at 830. He might be here an hour and a half. So to answer what you got Monday, now there's a report that was written, and uh, I'll just say I'm probably not at liberty to, to mention the individual's name, uh, that delivered that report to um, Donald Trump. It's substantial. It's solid. Uh, I do know some things in the report, and I know David Cross is aware of some things in the report that's coming out Monday, and he's going to be with me tomorrow, and we're, we're going to take Brian Kemp's tweet the no evidence and under oath, and we're going to show you the evidence tomorrow. Well, that's fascinating. One of the things that that people keep alluding to is they they seem to indicate that folks want to get away from this notion that the election was was stolen. And you look you look at uh, Kemp's tweet. And uh, he goes specifically after, oh, the, the election was not stolen in Georgia. Yet, even anchors on CNN will point out that, well, that's great, except the vast majority of Republicans and Republican even leaning people are not with you on that. And I wanted to share this for just a moment. This is one of the things that was brought up during uh, Duncan's interview. And you can see that, you know, now, currently... 69%, 69% of Republicans and Republican leaning, and they don't even talk yet about independents and, and Democrats, 69% believe that Biden did not legitimately win enough votes. So when you see people, in my mind, when you see people arguing against this, who are they arguing against? Nearly well, 70% of of the folks that are, are shown here. That's a lot of people. Well, let me, let me say this. Okay. And this, this is the, you know, when I have people say, what, why do you go after Brian Kemp? Okay. It's not going after Brian Kemp. It's really not. It's, it's, let me, let me share this with you. I went to troop County, uh, troop County Republican party yesterday. They had a lunch meeting. They invited me to speak. 85, the, the chair of Troop County Republican Party, a headcount in the room, 85 people. I never met a one of these people. Not, never met a one. I, di I didn't know who was in the room. Okay, didn't know the chair, not a one. I, I looked at the room and I said, wow, I think it's the first room I, I'm speaking to. I, know, I don't know anybody. So I thought, hey, you know what? I want to I wanna get a feel of where I'm at. So I said, how about this? Let's start so I can get a feel of the room. How many of you, if you would like to raise your hand, would tell me that you believe the 2020 election was stolen from the American people? All 85 hands went up. Wow. All. Yep. 
Now, I understand people will say to me, well, that's an echo chamber. Okay, okay. But 85 people I never met in my entire life, people will argue, well, it's 85. It's all over, folks. And this guy doesn't care. He doesn't care about those people. He has no concern. He talks about a loyalty oath. I supported him in 2018. We supported him in 2018. He was going to take his big truck and round up illegals and get them across the border. Now he's spending billions and billions of dollars on illegals in this state to feed, clothe, shelter, and educate them in health care. I mean, this guy right here cares nothing about the base. I looked at my camera this morning and I said to everyone out there, if you got up thinking he cares about you, the grassroots know. 85 people, their hand went in the air. Now, there's a couple things on that. Do you realize, according to the indictment just now, it's against the law to feel. Read read this right here. And and, and I want to, I, I just want to highlight this. This is in the indictment, okay? In the indictment. And Trump and other defendants charged in this indictment refuse to accept Damn it, they, they are determined we will accept. We will accept the shot that doesn't work with no research. We will accept you will what comply. they tell okay. us. We will accept. It's right here. Refuse to accept Trump lost. You've got to accept Trump lost or you could go to jail. And they knowingly and willfully joined a conspiracy to unlawfully change the outcome of an election in favor of Trump. So all 85 people in that room yesterday I never met could get indicted because they do not comply with that sentence. And I might be yelling and, you know, but look, in favor of Trump, the outcome. And I think we all agree. We've never wanted to overturn the results. We only want the results. You know, it's, I think people in Georgia need to also wake up to the fact I hear a lot of, well, Kemp, you know, didn't lock us down. Kemp kept us open. Kemp, you know, saved our schools or whatever they want to say compared to other states. But it's quite obvious to me, if you look at DeSantis and Kemp, that they had people in mind that they wanted to prop up as MAGA that were not. And yeah. And now we're seeing the actual uh, this this was planned a long time ago. And, and, you know, woke goes to die in Florida. And, you know, like you said, I'll put my shotgun and riding around in my truck and it, it's all garbage. It's all a narrative. It's all performative. Well, over time, too, people forget you when you think you then remember, oh, my gosh, the Florida beaches were locked down. They were arresting people on various beaches we had uh we had uh a, a friend that was approached and nearly went to jail for walking around without a uh, mask on duval street for all for goodness sakes i mean they there was a uh, a notion of forget your rights forget your ability to say no to a and an uh, experimental drug you do what we say and Nobody wants to talk about that now. They're hoping that we forget about it, but we're not. Well, you know, look, talk, I want to talk about what Todd just said. I, I've heard all the praises that Kemp opened up Georgia and Kemp opened up our businesses. 
I sit right here in my office where I'm at today, and I I have restaurant owners calling me. Their food spoiled. They had to throw it out. They can't order. They're shut down. They're going to close. All right. I mean, I had business after business. So let's remember when this all started, Kemp did not have Georgia open. I'm going to look at the camera and tell you, I'll tell you when Kemp opened Georgia is not when he tried to save small business in Georgia is when they came in, when the Georgia Department of Revenue came in and showed him the tax revenue was down because nothing was open and there was no taxes coming in. That's when Kemp said, you know, if I open Georgia and Tennessee's not open and North Carolina's not open and Alabama's not open, I and I will get the the shopping here in Georgia, my tax revenue will go through the roof. Kemp did not care. This is gonna be ugly, folks, and I'm sorry. Kemp didn't care if 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 people were getting sick with COVID because they were eating at a restaurant. He didn't, he didn't care if you were shopping and getting COVID. That was not it. It was all the revenue. And then you go back and you look at it and you research that bragging month after month of our Georgia income tax or sales tax revenue was through the roof, through the roof. Yeah, right? That's why I kept open Georgia back up. But I'll tell you what, I went to board of education meetings all across the state of Georgia where I would hear a mother say, my daughter was for 14 days quarantined six times. What is six times 14? I don't know off the top of my head, but it's a big number. Okay. We had kids in school. Why do you think Georgia just passed a law for literacy? Because we have kids, our reading scores you know, didn't turn out so well when we got the scores back and we're spending millions and millions of dollars in Georgia on literacy programs to help bring kids back up the standard. So the list could go on. He's not the hero that people would think he is. Why don't we end it there, Brian? We've got to move on to our next guest and uh, we're going to have you back as always. And uh, we are Live streaming you on the Georgia Record now every morning. So everyone should check out BKP Politics on the Georgia Record. It's there every morning. What Tell us about the show. What are the times, Brian? Every morning, 8 a.m. I come on at 8 to 10, 8 to 10, Monday through Friday. On Friday, uh, we have a special show. We have an all-star political panel. It's a different kind of show. We have four guests come on, and, and we get pretty deep into a lot of subjects, and we have a good time on Fridays. Uh, that's the panel, but Monday through Friday, 8 to 10 a.m. And uh, my producer, I never could go because I can't do the show without Diane. My producer makes it happen every morning. I appreciate her. I appreciate you guys. And uh, I, I'm glad to hear I'm going to be welcomed back. That means maybe I didn't say, <laughs> maybe I didn't say anything. It was a little Always. too far. So it's easy to find the show, by the way. Oh, uh, I'm sorry. Look- yes. Just look at uh, Voice Voice of uh, Rural America on Rumble, and you will find BKP. Every morning. Every and if morning. you happen to be reading the Georgia Record, if you just look at the front page, it will be there in uh, one of the slots for that day. So, A quick note, I'm going, if you, uh, if you want to make a plan to get back, I'm going to the convention next week. I'm going to Milwaukee. I will be... I will be in Milwaukee Tuesday, Wednesday, and coming back Thursday. So 
Uh, I'm going as uh, some, uh, everybody keeps saying, Trump's not going to be there and you're going. Why would you do that? I'm going just like I watch CNN and MSNBC. I'm going right into the belly of the establishment and I want to see what they're doing. That's great. Take care, Brian. Thanks for coming You too, on. guys. Appreciate it. All right. So I think it's time to uh, talk about our sponsor for a minute, Bill. Uh, sure. And uh, so the financial business is an important one, especially right now when you've got interest rates, which are spiking, you've got inflation spiking, you've got manufacturing dropping, you've got some real headwinds and black swans out there in the economy. And I think a really good financial advisor is extremely important. Luckily, we have David Cross, who also has a filter of not using the woke companies that hate your values. So if you're looking for somebody to really help you manage your money, uh, I would recommend David Cross. And we're going to play a short clip from him. I'm David Cross, and you may know me for my election integrity work, but I also own U.S. Asset Management, a family-owned and operated investment advisory practice. I'm a certified portfolio manager, and my job is to help you make better decisions with your money. One of the things we try to avoid is investing in companies that push the woke agenda. If you're invested with one of the big firms out there, there's a pretty good chance that you're feeding the beast that hates your values. Our company is 100% conservative, and we'd love to have an opportunity to work with you. Check us out at us-am.com and look for our big, proud American Eagle logo. Who's next, Bill? Well, we had a chance this week to catch up with Steve Friend. Uh, many people know him as the uh, FBI whistleblower, and he spoke at the uh, Georgia GOP convention earlier this year and is uh, on a tour um, both through Georgia and now down through Florida. So uh, he was kind enough to spend some time with us. Shall we bring him in? Yeah, go ahead. Thanks for joining. We are lucky enough today to be joined by Steve Friend, who many uh, folks uh, know as uh, uh, an FBI whistleblower. Well, Steve, thank you for joining us. Thanks for having me today. And as always, I'm joined by uh, L. Todd Wood, our, our publisher and founder of CDM. So thank you both, gentlemen, for joining us. Um, I was lucky enough uh, last week to be able to uh, hear Steve address a crowd in uh, Georgia and uh, thought that it would be wonderful to be able to have him share some of his background and thoughts uh, with the audience. So, uh, Steve, why don't you, if you can, to get us started, talk a little bit about, you know, where you came from, how did you get involved, how did you choose to get involved in the FBI and, and so forth, if you could go there, please. Yeah, well, I'm actually from Savannah, Georgia. Oh, Really? Yep. I, I grew so up I. there. <laughs> um, it's, you know, my family still lives there. My wife's family still lives there. And I was a police officer there for a number of years before applying to the FBI. And I have an education and, and some small professional work experience as an accountant. So those two skills are desirable for the FBI and it made me a more desirable candidate for them to hire. And that process took about four years and eventually joined the FBI in 2014 and was sent to live in Sioux City, Iowa, which was part of the Omaha field office, which had all the responsibility for the state of Nebraska and the state of Iowa. And I was assigned because of my law enforcement background. It was a small office. 
about three or four people at any given time, and we were tasked with investigating violent crimes that were occurring on Indian reservations in the state of Nebraska. So I did that for about seven years and had a lot of experience working cases all the way through, went to trial about eight times, had 200 cases, 150 arrests. And eventually though, after seven years, you get what's called an exit benefit because it's so hard to find people willing to do that work. They, they give it as an enticement. And I exercised that exit benefit to get to the front of the line for a transfer and get somewhere close, closer to, to family. And we, we transferred in the summer of 2021 to Daytona Beach, Florida where I was intending to work on child pornography and human trafficking cases, but was quickly reassigned to work on domestic terrorism cases in my office, which essentially meant January 6th in the, the fall of 2021. Is that because they were re reassigning a lot of people to that? Uh, that, that I, I think in, in my office, they, well, it's, it's basically a, it's an annual looking at the resources and where they're going to mm -hmm. put people. They have to, account for everybody's time and that's a mm -hmm. finite resource obviously and because of the january 6 cases and we can get into this um, mm -hmm. the way that they've been managed on paper it creates the appearance that there is a tremendous need for agents to work domestic terrorism mm -hmm. and uh, the fbi obviously considers child pornography to be an extremely low priority I was told that those cases were just not going to be worked anymore in my office. Wow. Uh, in my headquarters, which was in Jacksonville, had a squad devoted to child pornography, and that, that squad was broken down. I think they only left uh, one or two people to work on child porn cases, and the others were reassigned to other other squads. Interesting. When you say child porn, does that also include actual trafficking? Yes, yes. I yeah. actually oh. had some child trafficking cases that I was working on. I had one that was a was had some legs to it. I was going to be doing some work with uh, another government agency for some some students who were being trafficked from Africa. Mm -hmm. And uh, that was brought to an early close for me because I was suspended before I could actually dig into it. So that, that's significant before you go on. So they were beefing up the Jan 6 stuff and taking people off the trafficking cases, which, uh, you know, in, in our view is a misallocation of resources because January 6th's rule was, wasn't really a problem in our view, except for a few people who broke some mm -hmm. things. And then you have Jen or the Sound of Freedom come out and shows what a massive problem this is globally. So that shows a real malfeasance, in my opinion. Yeah, I share your sentiment on that. Mm -hmm. I mean, look, this is a it's not a regional problem. Like if you mm -hmm. if you work at El Paso, you would probably have more border related crimes to mm -hmm. investigate than if you worked in Milwaukee. But mm -hmm. when it comes to something like child pornography, that is transcendent across all borders and especially yeah. after the coronavirus lockdowns so many people became online in their in their daily lives that it just exploded but unfortunately i think that there's a, a human nature a tendency to just want to pretend it doesn't happen because it's just so gross and abhorrent to think about mm -hmm. and and as a result of that the fbi goes where the where the spotlight is and mm -hmm. uh, they, they don't want to you can't put a stack of child porn on the table and say look at all the great work we did or you don't even want to say that somebody had forty thousand images on their on their device yeah. it's much more uh, desirable to talk about how how many guns you seize and how much drugs and money uh, you, you you took down out of a cartel yeah one of that was one of the fascinating things that i heard you speak of last week was the i think you started with a bit of the camaraderie that was around and then it, it seemed to sort of evolved to a different kind of a different focus, uh, more uh, career related and, you know, ob objective measurement related and so forth. Maybe you could 
if, kind of give us an illustration or a feeling of that, if you could. Yeah, well, I, I think it all comes downstream from what's called Integrated Program Management, IPM. And this is the FBI's quota system that it uses and negotiates every year between the field and headquarters. And it dictates the number of cases that you have to open in each violation and the number of arrests as you're expected to get and the tools that you need to use and the intelligence reports that you have to author. It's everything. And as a result of that, it kind of applies this sales metrics to, to law enforcement. It's a square peg in a round hole and it's an inverse uh, incentive structure where you want crime to come down. You want your law enforcement officers to do that. That's why you elect your sheriff. But the FBI is completely incentivized to bring the crime numbers up. And when it comes to January 6th, that's why it's so lucrative for them, because you took one case and instead opened a separate case for every single person. And now one case has become thousands of cases. And the second step of that parlay is you open the case on paper, not officially uh, or unofficially, but officially on paper, it is opened where the person lives. So in my case in Daytona Beach, if they lived in Daytona Beach and walked through the Capitol, the Jacksonville field office would have a new domestic terrorist that they were assigned to investigate. And that's very unusual and atypical and suspicious to me. It's still allowable, but the biggest departure, which ma made no sense to me if we were actually doing things objectively by the book or just hadn't made an innocent mistake was that there was a task force that was in Washington that was giving us directives on how to investigate our own cases. So we were sitting here waiting for them to tell us when to go arrest our bad guy as opposed to actually doing that ourselves. And, and I was concerned for a number of reasons. One, if the person committed a crime and they deserve to be charged with a crime and, and brought to the magistrate, then I don't want to have a departure from the rules that's going to jam us up at trial. We're going to lose. And now the bad guy's going to walk free. I'm a, I'm a system idealist. I'm a purist. Mm -hmm. I want my case to be buttoned up. And then I started to look at what was going on with so many of these defendants and the due process mm -hmm. violations and the cruel and unusual punishment violations where we keep issuing superseding indictments so we can keep these guys in a gulag for years on end without falling astray of speedy trial restrictions within the Constitution. And then finally, there was a risk to the public safety where the individual in my office, he was accused of committing a felony. He pledged to cooperate with the FBI in the event of a criminal charge when we talked to him, which was a year and a half before the decision was made to go arrest him. And mm -hmm. we were sending SWAT to his house. Mm -hmm. And you look to what happened last week in Provo and the FBI mm -hmm. might be justified in its shooting because that gentleman presented a weapon, but the FBI introduced a higher likelihood of violence by sending a SWAT team that was not necessary. And the premier law enforcement agency for the country should pride itself on bringing subjects into custody using the least amount of force necessary instead of sending an elephant gun to shoot a mouse. So is that coming from the top down, those types of arrests? Yeah, well, anytime it comes to arrest uh, arrest operation, it goes all the way up through executive management within your field office. So in, okay. in our case, Jacksonville was signing off on it. Senior executives were assessing the needs and who was going to be going where. And unfortunately, the, the matrix, as they call it, for, for using SWAT. And I did SWAT for five years, so pretty familiar with it. It's sort of a decision tree for when SWAT An can... interesting term, the matrix, but go ahead. Yeah. <laughs> it's, wow. it's, a, it's a decision tree for using SWAT. And it's uh -huh. extremely broad, and they depend on the discretion of individuals. And the people, mm -hmm. when it comes to January 6th, are not using good discretion. They're using the FBI to punish their perceived enemies. So the threat of violence or the potential ownership of a firearm, regardless of whether or not you're a felon, uh, you just have a second amendment right, 
or there might be a, a large dog in the premises, mm -hmm. the SWAT team can be deployed in that situation. And, and that's what the FBI is leaning on to justify sending it. So they're within policy, but I don't think they're doing it to uh, to bring somebody into custody safely. It's more of just a statement of force. It's This is a shock and awe campaign that we've seen around mm -hmm. the country. Yeah. What you're describing obviously could um, put some real questions in anyone's mind. Were they working in, in that kind of an environment? How did tell us a little bit about the evolution of how you came to be, um, I guess, uncomfortable or more than uncomfortable with observing what was going on, please? Well, I've, I've always contented myself with this belief of paint the fence is my motto. And I I've sort of view the mission of the FBI as a giant fence, like we're painting Tom Sawyer style. Mm. And if I paint the section that's in my yard and not worry about my neighbors and the guys down the street, the whole fence is going to get painted if we all do that. So I, I was kind of just focused in on doing the work I was doing for a number of years. But then the scale started to fall away from my eyes originally in 2020 when I was sent over with the rest of my SWAT team to Kalamazoo, Michigan to participate in an arrest, which was for the Gretchen Whitmer case. Hmm. And upon hmm. arriving there and getting a briefing, which was unlike any briefing I ever got as a SWAT operator in five years, where typically you get a 30,000 foot view of the case and a photograph of the location and a driver's license photo of your bad guy. And then you said, you know, go, go forth and arrest him. We had video footage of these guys. We were told that they were equipped with training and weapons and body armor and they had been trained extensively and were prepared to engage in a gunfight with anybody that they came across and that they had encrypted communications and their plan according to the informants and the undercovers that had infiltrated this militia according to their plan if and when any of them came into contact with law enforcement others would respond to predetermined locations and get into a shootout with anybody that they got they, they saw and they encountered so as opposed to just securing the structure that we were assigned to and then letting the evidence guys do their thing and we could leave, we were told you have to post up like you're in Afghanistan and wait to get attacked. Hmm. And obviously that didn't happen, unfortunately. I mean, but unfortunately, I think that there were several individuals who were entrapped into this, into this scheme that they were not predisposed to commit by informants, by undercovers, by case agents that were politically motivated. Hmm. And then... I saw that that overlapped with the January 6th cases to a tremendous extent. And, uh, and I thought, well, once shame on you, twice shame on me. I have some legitimate concerns here, reasonable concerns. I might not be right, but I don't have to be. 5 U.S.C. 2303 is a whistleblower guidance that uh, you, you have to follow if you bring forward a concern. And I did that. I brought forward a reasonable concern of a risk to the public safety, uh, waste, fraud, or abuse to a supervisor. And I did that to my frontline supervisor, to the next level up and to the next level up. Hmm. And uh, unfortunately they did not uh, respect the Whistleblower Protection Act and instead contrived a way to suspend my security clearance, which is the FBI's hack around whistleblower protection. Oh, and that, that so, essentially takes you out of play, does it? For, for any of the uh, cases that you're involved in? Yes, you, it, because of national security, you have to have an active security clearance to work as an FBI agent. So I was placed into indefinite suspension. I was still mm -hmm. an employee, but I couldn't be in the FBI space. And they were going to assess whether or not I was a threat to national security could, or could, I could hold a security clearance. And my lawyers who were very familiar with this process says it's, it's a purgatory. They put you in for, for years if necessary because they would just want you to resign so they could say the information that you're bringing forward is just the ramblings of an angry ex-employee and they don't have to take it up and consider it. 
And they're not even good at contriving the way to, to walk you out. I mean, I was suspended because they said I improperly accessed unclassified material, the unclassified material being the employee handbook. Wow. Wow. So what you hear a lot of um, people talking heads or say, well, you know, the FBI is good, but the leadership is corrupt. I mean, do you agree with that statement? I mean, are the lower guys or are there people down the ladder at the lower ranks that are corrupt as well and, and working for political motives? I think anybody within the management structure is corrupted. It's, mm -hmm. it's impossible to ascend that structure without compromising your values. Mm -hmm. You essentially have to invent solutions and look for problems to apply them to. And, and that grows government. It's, it's mm -hmm. not in keeping with law enforcement. It's just expanding the apparatus, keeping the self-looking ice cream cone going. You're not looking mm -hmm. to be a leader of man. Your passion is in actually promoting up the, the chain of command. But that's very bureaucratic. I think that there's... Uh, people that are working cases that historically we you always see the politicians issue that qualifier of the good men and women of the FBI. I think mm -hmm. there's good cases going on, but I have to say that I, I, having been through this for almost a year and having the expectation that I was surrounded by people who I considered my friends and colleagues mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and having taken the oaths that we all did and gotten the training that we all did where we went to the Holocaust Memorial and the MLK Memorial, and we learned that it's incumbent on you as an FBI employee to throw the flag if you believe that the agency is off the rails and violating rights. And I'm no longer surrounded by those people. And they've not stepped forward. Only a few have. And, the, and those are the guys that I consider my friends now. So I have to forgive me. Uh, I'm not going to issue the qualifier anymore. There are no yeah. good men and women in the FBI. If you're going along to pay your bills or to feed your family, sorry, not sorry. You didn't join the FBI to get rich. There's other opportunities out there where you can actually keep your soul mm -hmm. and, and they're unwilling to do that because what they know deep down in their heart of hearts is that they have a really sweet gig with a lot of esteem and they're vastly overpaid to, and underworked to do that job. So should it be dis disbanded? Yes. The FBI should be broken into a thousand pieces and scattered to the wind. But I have uh, my reservations about our elected officials on either side of the aisle actually mm -hmm. having the testicular fortitude, we'll mm -hmm. say, to pull that off. So uh, a couple of weeks ago, I actually came up with a reform that I believe would make the agency better. And I would be willing to actually give a try if it was implemented. And that would be for through appropriations, the, the House Republicans could do this now to defund the armed FBI special agent, the 1811 criminal investigator and make the FBI an unarmed criminal investigation agency force it to partner with local sheriff's offices and police departments that have jurisdiction where they're going to be doing investigations, get their approval to conduct an investigation, and then have task force officers who already exist, and those are deputies and, and detectives who are sworn by their agency, they're sworn state law enforcement officers, and they get federally deputized to the U.S. Marshal Service, so they have joint deputization. They would assist, so there would be a gun in the room, and then when it comes time to make an arrest, again, get the approval of the, the agency, have the age to have the task force officers affect that arrest. So no FBI SWAT team. And then that creates the bulwark between a politicized FBI and the citizen because the sheriff can stand in the gap because he's more accountable to his constituents. Yeah, he's accounted, but accountable to the local population. And, and it will also direct resources where they need to go because the sheriff knows what his actual crime problems are, as opposed to listening to a quota from a bureaucrat at the J. Edgar Hoover building in D.C. 
let's talk to the sheriff and say, hey, man, you know the usual suspects. You know the crimes. You know the players. Where do we need to go? Just point us there, and we'll, we bring the resources to bear. We that's bring the tools. Yeah, that's a fascinating idea. In, in many uh, states, the sheriffs are actually constitutional officers usually elected. So their allegiance is to a, a, perhaps a different um, – model than simple police in some cases. So that would be fascinating. What a, what a, what a great idea. And there's, you know, there's, there's, precedent for there's it. a story of, uh, I forget the name of the company, but this wealthy guy bought a large insurance company. They had a huge building in Chicago with 20,000 employees. He built a very small building in like Missouri and started moving one at a time to the new building and then fired everybody else. You know, he moved a few good guys to start the new headquarters. I mean, Maybe something like that. I don't know. Yeah, I think this is actually a, an issue that several of the candidates for president have been have been asked. And I think you always get the, well, there's going to be a change at the top of the leadership. Yeah. Or we're not going to build a new headquarters. The, yeah. the infected DNA within the FBI cannot be corrected with a change in headship or a change in location. It needs to be a top to bottom reform. And, uh, and mm -hmm. I don't know I don't know about the legality of it, but uh, I would certainly look into something that uh, – I think Vivek Ramaswamy proposed, and that was a, a mass layoff as opposed mm -hmm. to a one-for-one -one layoff, which mm -hmm. you might have some uh, civil servant laws that protect it. But uh, there's nothing that actually states that you can just lay off 10,000 people. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, one of, one of the things you've spent your time on is writing a book that uh, it takes some of these beginnings and really goes into depth. And I wanted to share that with folks. Let me uh, Let me do this and that. And uh, so this is this is out now, yes. Yes, it was uh, it was published in June of this year. It was something that I wrote pretty quickly after being suspended. Mm -hmm. uh, so everything was pretty raw and fresh. But uh, it goes into my experience as a police officer, as uh, an FBI agent, and then the latter half of it is the the whistleblowing details that you really don't get the opportunity to discuss in great detail when you're doing cable news for three minutes. <laughs> so uh, it's, uh, it, I think it's it's productive. Uh, the yeah. biggest thing that I, I, I tell everybody is that the FBI saw the manuscript and demanded that I redact all information pertaining to my whistleblowing, pertaining to my involvement with the Gretchen Whitmer case, and, and, and pertaining to a conversation that I had with my senior executives, which was about a two-hour conversation, and I have it fully transcribed in the book. And as opposed to issuing 80 pages that are just blacked out, I said mm -hmm. no. The American people require transparency from their premier law enforcement agency. So all of it is in there. Wow. Nifty. I'm, I am honored to have a copy and uh, I will share that Miranda Devine wrote a, uh, uh, wrote a preface for it, didn't she? So um, very, very interesting and, you know, a great read. So highly recommend where can folks uh, go to get it? Well, it's available on Amazon and Barnes and Noble. Um, I think it's in Target, but I don't think uh, too many people are shopping at Target these days. Uh, <laughs> but uh, if you are on social media, I, I am on Twitter. My handle is at Real Steve Friend, and it's pinned to the top of my profile, so they can mm -hmm. take you directly there. Uh, I'm on True Social as well at Real underscore Steve Friend. So both locations you can go to and then get directly to the book. That's great. Any, uh, as I had mentioned when we began, I, I uh, got to see at an event. Are there upcoming events in the next uh, week or two that you uh, that you want to make a mention of? Yes. So, so uh, the the 21st, I'm going to be appearing at a, a Republican, a Florida Republican Assembly for Orange County. Mm -hmm. On the 22nd, I will be down in Naples to speak at Collier County because that county's 
putting forward an initiative to protect the Bill of Rights at a county level, and I'm going to speak out for that. And then I will be in Huntsville, Alabama in, in the middle of September at an event there. So just kind of barnstorming around the Southeast, uh, have, have words, we'll, uh, we'll deliver upon request. I haven't turned anything down yet. That's great. That's great. We appreciate very much uh, you joining us. Todd, any, any uh, last thoughts? No, that's it, Steve. Thanks for coming on. Thanks. I appreciate it. Great. Thank you for being here. There we go. There we are. Great interview. Uh, we need to keep pushing on all this whistle, but people need to see the truth of what's actually happening. So They do. It, as bizarre as it may sound when it's described, uh, it's one of the prerequisites of understanding what's going on. So I think that's it, Bill, right? We well, we have, we have some exciting uh, guests coming on for Sunday, if, you, if you'd like to give a little hint. Yeah, everybody's those. heard about the, uh, is it called FirstNet? FirstNet. Was the uh, the essentially a government uh, system for communication, which was billed as a safety system, but has been outed as essentially enabling massive voter fraud via electronic machine fraud across the nation in a coordinated fashion by the federal government. So we're going to have David Clements on, uh, Professor David Clements. He's a very good friend of the show. He's the one that broke a lot of this news this week, so we're going to have him really give a deep dive on Sunday, so that'll be fascinating. Chris Gleason is going to be here with even more information uh, the day prior to the Bedminster event at, in New Jersey with President Trump, and, uh, and and we may have some other special guests, but we're trying, still trying to book them. Anything okay. else? All right, great. So it sounds like we're going to be focusing pretty heavily on election integrity for um, the foreseeable future. It seems it seems that that's front and center for almost everything that's going on, doesn't it? It sure does. And uh, I, I don't think that's going away anytime soon until we get rid of these machines. And at the Georgia Record, we're going to be on it, uh, you know, like, you know what. So that's it. Please sign up for our NOAA subscriptions. We really need your help. It's important. We don't get any money from anybody but our listeners and our, our, our few sponsors that we really trust. So we don't bring anybody on here that we don't trust, products we don't trust, products we don't use. And uh, David Cross is one we do trust and recommend you use him as a financial advisor. But please sign up for our no ad subscriptions. With that, Bill, we'll, uh, we'll see you next Sunday. That's great. See you then.